everyone has a story. Story of hurt, confusion, feeling of loneliness, and even rejection that we experienced because of a circumstance where we felt like we were excluded, ignored, or even rejected. As a kid, there was absolutely nothing worse. If you ask my kids at the dinner table how their day was or what their highlight of the day was, they're going to either mention gym class or something cool that they did with their friends. Because what matters most of them is spending time and connecting with those that they love the most. So there aren't many things as traumatic for them as feeling like they weren't wanted, welcomed, or included among their peers. I bet you may even have a few memories etched into your brain from years past as well. Maybe there's scenarios like some of these. You know, one of your friends from school, not someone you were particularly best friends with or close with, uh, was having a birthday party. And you were hearing all the other kids excitedly talk about it, and you realized that you hadn't been invited. You know, the words on the playground that cut you like a knife when kids, in maybe not so many words, told you that you weren't wanted for this particular game at recess, or maybe even told you to go and try to play with some other kids who were involved in other activities. Or when all your friends, or at least so it felt, made that specific team that you tried out for. And you were told that you did great and that if you just worked hard, uh, you would probably make it next year, or whatever. There's that time when your teacher allowed you the opportunity that you wanted to have a project with one of your friends. And you got to choose your own partner. And the minute they allowed you to choose your partner, you looked around and tried to make eye contact with a few specific people. But they were all looking at somebody else. Or as you got a little older, having uh, received that letter that turned into receiving that email then that Facebook message, and now just that simple text from your then boyfriend or girlfriend that you could probably finish this sentence with me, just wanted to be friends. It happened to you too, wow. Our personal experiences are unique, but we all have scars and wounds and hurts that come from feeling like we had been excluded. But... Even though we know what it feels like to be ignored or forgotten, we aren't immune to sending that message to others either, even in the church. I would actually feel that it's a problem, maybe even a serious problem within the community of faith. You know, there are people sitting in the rows with you right now or people that you walk by in the lobby or people sitting having a coffee in the cafe and rather than a good morning, hey, I'm Ben, Uh, with a handshake to welcome them here this morning. Some of us walked by and tried to to avoid eye contact because of how awkward it is to not know what to say or to say hello to people that we we don't know. You know, I've spent uh, my whole time at Southridge uh, working with the Life Group Ministry, and there's a scenario that's happened over and over again, probably a dozen times in my time here, that goes something like this each time. You know, a brand new person comes and is excited about the church and they want to get connected and uh, get to know some new people. So uh, we talk about life groups uh, and ask them to consider joining one and they're excited to do that and so they either come to a Lifeline event, which uh, we are actually happening, is happening tonight, six o'clock, or 
they, uh, they allow us to, to place them in a group if, if that doesn't work out. And they get into this group and they, they begin their time and it's going really well. They actually get really connected, meet some new people that they, they really uh, gel well with. And, uh, and, it, and it goes great. They're having a, a blast. And fast forward a couple of years and uh, the group is large. And we go to the group and say, hey, you know, we have a Lifeline event coming out and there's lots of new folks who have uh, shown interest in getting connected and, and joining a group. Would you consider coming to Lifeline to start a new group? Or would you consider to uh, multiply your group and make two so that there was a few more spots that we could help new people get connected and find a place like you did just a few years ago? Well, they, uh, they kind of look over and, and kind of shift in their chair a little bit and a common response is, you know, well, we've only been together for a few years and, you know, we're only just starting to gel and really just starting to get, to get deep with each other. So we're just going to pass at this time, because really we don't want to wreck it. And you know what? I totally understand. And I don't think the, off, the, the times we potentially exclude others necessarily comes from a bad heart or a bad place. Just like that life group scenario, it's often passive and can come from good motives and even good intentions. But for me, that's entirely the point of not only this morning, but of this entire series called Connected. Because our God has never been accidental. He's never been passive with us. He's active, he's intentional, longing to relate to his kids, pursuing us even when we walk away from him. Because he loves us. The real sad part for me is that both people in the church and those we interact with and relate to outside the church are making their decisions about whether God actually loves them and whether or not he can be trusted based on how we, his followers and representatives, treat them. And I know that we may not feel that's fair because, you know, we're broken and imperfect and we make mistakes like everybody else, but it's real. You know, how many times... Have I had a conversation over the years with someone who has walked away from the church or even walked away from their faith because of how they were treated by someone within the church? How many times have I talked to the neighbor or someone outside the church and heard someone say, I will never step foot in a church because of how so-and-so at work acted or treated me or so-and-so in my family behaved? As a leadership, that is the last thing that we want to be. You know, where we claim to believe something and that doesn't change the way that we treat people or engage in relationship with one another. So I wanna spend uh, the remaining minutes this morning of my time to set a bit of a framework that we're gonna work from this entire series. And the text that has captivated my attention lately is found in Ephesians chapter two. So if you have a Bible, you can flip there. We're gonna start right at the beginning. If you've got a, a PDA and you wanna, you wanna put that on now, that's fantastic. Ephesians two, we're gonna start at verse one. This is a passage that highlights an aspect of God's character and his nature that we cannot miss this morning. Starting at verse one, it says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. 
He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. The Apostle Paul goes on in verse 11 to say this, Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. What the Apostle Paul is trying to do for the church in Ephesus is something that I think is absolutely vital for us as a community as well. It's like Paul is saying, you know, wait. I I need you to, to stop and consider something for a moment. Something that is incredibly important for me. I need you to stop and reflect on where you come from. Paul is begging the church to promise that they won't let this slip too far from their mind ever. He says, there was a time not too long ago when from a spiritual perspective, you were on the outside looking in, separated from Christ, not benefiting from the blessings of being a part of the family of God. He says, it was like you were a foreigner in a land with no rights and no privileges. You had no voting rights, You had no access to social assistance. You had no health care. You didn't speak the language. Totally left to your own devices. And you lacked what everyone wanted more than anything else. Hope that things could get better. And this was because sin had flat out just taken over. I don't know about you, but I don't regularly take the time to intentionally ground myself in the reality and reflect on where I come from spiritually. When I have done this, there's been two consistent themes that have emerged in me. One, I find myself more grateful, more thankful. Because as you look back, you realize how far God has taken you and how faithful he's been in your life. And the second thing I find in myself is a growing empathy for people who are at different stages. Because I remember what it was like to be there to be confused and broken and hurting and lost, to be struggling, to be seeking. And I see how similar I am to them. So you and I, we started at the same place. We have very different experiences, very different stories and journeys, but the same starting place, excluded, outsiders, trying to find a way to be included. Romans chapter three and verse 23 says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And just a few verses before that in verse 10, it says, no one is righteous, not even one. All have turned away. What is common about each and every one of us is that our spiritual starting point is the same. We know what it feels like to be on the outside looking in, excluded from a spiritual perspective from the life that God created us for. But probably my favorite part in all of the Bible is the one word follow-up 
to that section at the beginning of Ephesians chapter two, the first three verses, where Paul is giving the Ephesian church a bit of a lesson about what he wants them to do in thinking and reflecting back on their spiritual pasts, reminding them that they're foreigners, aliens, outsiders, and excluded from the promises that God had made. And here's that one word, starting at verse four, but. But that wasn't good enough for a God who loves you more than anything. Being outsiders has never been and will never be what God wants for you and for me. Goes on in verse four, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Romans 5 and verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The word mercy means not getting what we deserve. See, our sin had earned us eternal exclusion and that broke God's heart because his love for us is so deep that even when we were enemies, when we were running away from him, when we were living for ourselves, when we lacked hope and direction, God didn't passively sit back and say, oh, well, I tried. You know, I tried to create them to relate to me. He came running after us. He pursued us with everything that he had, whatever it cost. It reminds me of, of a story that I heard when I was at Bible college. I went to Cape and Ray Harbor Bible Center in, uh, on Thetis Island in BC for a couple of years. And the setting is pretty much as beautiful as it sounds with the ocean views and Vancouver Island in the background with the mountains there. Just fantastic. But the crowd, apart from the Bible college, uh, that lived on Thetis Island, you could call them a tad eccentric. You know, it was a pretty isolated for, for most of the year. And I was told about a retired engineer named Mr. Johnson. And, you know, I, I know you're going to get this. Having put up with Mike and Jeff preaching every week, both engineers, you can just imagine how unique this gentleman actually was. Well, Mr. Johnson is a bit of an odd duck, but he had a passion and a real gift for restoring old cars. And it was a common occurrence to see him driving onto the island with an old beater that he was going to take to the garage or taking a cruise around on the weekend in an absolutely stunning vehicle that he had been working on for quite some time. And he had done everything. 57 Chevys, 70s Lamborghini, a 1940s Ford truck. Uh, he would restore them top to bottom, inside and out. And then he'd kind of use them for a while. He'd keep some, but he'd sell most of them so that he could start all over again. It wasn't for the money. It was just because this is what he loved to do. But after years of doing that, he decided to try something a little bit different. Rather than restoring one particular car, he decided to build his own from scratch. His dream car. How he explained it uh, was that there were so many things about each car that he absolutely loved, but other things about the car that, you know, weren't quite his favorite. And he started to think about what it would be like to build a car with all of his favorite pieces. So he started to put together an order in the parts of his dream car so that he could put it together. He ordered this body, that suspension, this engine, that steering wheel, this kind of upholstery. He did it all. It took him a few years 
to get it all together. He did other stuff in between as he was waiting for parts because he could not sit still, but he always had something on the go. But this, this project was his baby. One of the students, uh, his name was Evan, he had gotten pretty close to Mr. Johnson that year because uh, every year Mr. Johnson would hire one of the students to kind of, you know, help him around the house. You know, shovel the driveway, you know, cut the grass, bring in the firewood, all the different stuff. Anything that he needed help with. But each time Evan would visit, he'd get the 20-minute tour and the speech about the progress of the car. Most of the time, Evan would kind of be tuned out, but looking interested in order to not hurt Mr. Johnson's feeling. He was impressed. It just, just wasn't his thing. But close to the end of the year, the day when Evan came, he showed up and Mr. Johnson was in the garage and he could hear something. He poked his head around and the car was started. Mr. Johnson was sitting in the driver's seat. He leaned out the window. He says, Evan... Hop in, we're done. 19-year-old jumped in, and as they drove around the island, crabby old Mr. Johnson was nothing but smiles as he told Evan, probably for the 10th time, why he chose each specific part for this car and why this was the perfect car. But the most shocking thing came when they got back. Pulled into the driveway, put the car in park. Mr. Johnson reached for the keys and took them off and handed them over to Evan. Evan just assumed he was getting the keys to walk him inside to hang them up for him and he said, your turn, Evan. Evan was, was shocked. But what 19-year-old would turn down that opportunity? Off he went. For 10 or 15 minutes, Evan you know, wasn't back yet. He had went for a bit of a cruise and you know, Mr. Johnson's feeling a little bit weird. But after 30 minutes went by, he started to get a bit concerned. So he jumped in one of the cars and he started bombing around the island to check for him. It was only seven miles, the whole island, so it didn't take him too long to go all the way around and check little pockets of the island, and he couldn't find him anywhere. He thought maybe he had missed him, so he raced home and, and, uh, and checked in the garage to see if he was back. Evan was nowhere to be found. So he started calling over and over again, leaving messages, voicemails, wanting to make sure that Evan was okay. But by the evening, he hadn't heard and had to call the police. He was stunned and scared. All those scenarios, the worst case scenarios of what could have happened to Evan running through his mind. When Mr. Johnson woke up in the morning to his phone ringing, when he answered it, it was Evan. You know, are you okay? Where are you? What happened? And a simple and calm, I'm fine was all that he got back. Longer story, just a bit shorter. Evan went on to share that he was in Alberta and the car was doing just fine. On his little spin, he, he thought it would be fun when he started on the island to jump on the ferry and head over to Vancouver Island for a real spin. And that led one thing to the next. Mr. Johnson was both devastated and relieved. But he felt betrayed. He wanted both Evan and the car back, safe and sound, let's just pretend this didn't happen. But the final straw that uh, broke, when Evan told Mr. Johnson he wasn't actually planning on coming back anytime soon, and worse, didn't really have any intention of returning the car either, at least not without something in return. 
So many things in that moment, as you could imagine, raced through Mr. Johnson's mind. He knew that eventually the police would find and be able to track down Evan. That wasn't what he was worried about. But what he was concerned about was if he did that, whether or not the car would come back in the same condition that it left. Because after two years plus putting it together and dreaming it up, and thousands and thousands of dollars spent turning a dream into reality, there was no way Mr. Johnson felt like he could leave that to somebody else, even the police. So he just calmly asked Evan what it would take for Evan to leave the car unharmed as is with the keys on the seat in a safe place so that Evan, he could go and do whatever it is he was gonna do. Evan boldly threw out the terms and gave some instructions on what would need to happen in order for him to do that. But because of what that car meant to him, Mr. Johnson felt like that was his only option. He had no choice. Heading straight over to the computer, he finished the transaction to buy back his car. Can you imagine if that was true? But you know what? In all seriousness, it is. Because it's an amazing illustration of what God did for you. you know, regardless of our scratches and dents, our missing pieces, God's love for us is deep and strong and forever because he made us exactly the way he wanted us. And though even today we make choices to live our lives in our way for our benefit, even choosing to run the other direction of him, his love has never changed and will never change his passionate and relentless pursuit of you and I. It was not okay for God to leave us as outsiders looking in, excluded from relating to him. We were so important that God would do the absolute unthinkable. He would buy back something that belonged to him, something that he created, something that he designed. We were his already, but I was that important to him. You were that important to him. No love is higher is wider, is deeper, is stronger. There is nothing that can separate you from his passionate love that pursues you and I each and every moment of every day. And there was no cost too high that God would not pay to prove to you that his heart is to have us included in his family, in his plan, and living out his purposes here on earth. That is our God. And before I finish the message this morning, I'd like to follow Paul's example in Ephesians chapter two and call my own time out for all of us. And I want the band to actually come up on stage right now. And they're gonna lead us in a time of reflection on this incredible truth. 
Because I really do believe that if we want to understand the heart of connection, we have to get clear and begin to see our worlds from the perspective of what God has done to make sure above anything else that you and I knew that we belong to him. He died for us so that we had the chance to not only have our past, our present, and our future sin forgiven, but also so that we could know his love and be changed by it each and every day, becoming a new person, the one that he designed and created us to be. Now, I I know there are folks here that are new to this whole conversation about faith, and perhaps you've never even thought about accepting what God has done for you on the cross to give us the chance to have our sins forgiven. Maybe you never thought about making the choice to follow Jesus with the rest of your life to, to get included in his family. But you could do that even today. Maybe even right now. And for all of us, each and every one of us, God made a way through Jesus Christ for us to know that we belong. We may not feel it relationally from those around us, but what would change about us and about the way that we live and engage in relationship if we let this spiritual truth sink in? For me, I believe it changes everything. Well, so what? Well, for me, I think it's so important to ground ourselves in the truth that spiritually speaking, there was a time that our sin excluded us from having any part of the blessing and the benefit and the resources available to those that choose to follow Jesus. But God, he couldn't stand for that. Because that's not who he is. See, by nature, he is an inclusive God. One of, if not the main character trait of our God, is that his heart is to make sure those on the outside get invited in as he pursues them. First uh, Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3 says this, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. See, he wants no outsider, no one forgotten, no one left behind. And he has done everything he could to include rather than exclude. But the challenge comes in figuring out what that means for you and I. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, once again, the Apostle Paul is throwing out a challenge to the church community. I think it's an appropriate one for us here this morning. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, it says this. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, 
who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So when we choose to become a follower of Christ, we are making the choice to allow God to make us new, new creations, not just slightly altered versions of our previous selves. This when in verse 16, it says, we regard no one from a worldly point of view any longer. Paul is reminding us that now we don't see people from our own perspective, through our own experiences or our own worldview. We're to see people as new creation through those sets of lenses, to see those around us the way that God would see them. That's why in verse 20 it says that we are God's ambassador. An ambassador is a representative. Um, When I was traveling Europe after high school with some friends, I lost my passport. And in order to get it back, I had to find an embassy somewhere in Europe, ended up uh, going to Paris, in order to speak with a Canadian ambassador. Because it was only them who would be able to represent Canada while I was overseas and take care of the situation I was in and get me a new passport, which I desperately needed to be traveling around Europe. But when God made us new, he gave us a very clear calling. From that day forward, we would be his representatives, ambassadors to the world. We would be his hands and feet. A friend of mine used to always say that our job as followers of Christ is to simply put God on display so that when people look at our lives, they can see a bit more of what God is really like. So here it is for us today. If our God, by nature and character, is an inclusive God who will not sit passively by and watch his precious creation to be on the outside looking in, but he constantly pursues us in love. And we are to be his ambassador, his representatives, his hands and feet. Then why are there so many people that feel like they don't belong, like we don't fit, like we aren't wanted. And why aren't those around us experiencing God's inclusive heart through us? As I said, the saddest part of this reality is that so many don't just walk away from from us relationally or even from our church, but they take it out and walk away from Jesus, from their faith, because of the way we treated them. We've been misrepresenting a God that the Bible describes as a friend of sinners, the father to the fatherless, the hope of the world, the lover of our soul, a doctor for the sick, a refuge for the hurting, bringing sight to the blind. How and when will people experience that God when they interact with me. And I know there are so many obstacles and challenges and even barriers 
to becoming these representatives of Jesus. And over the next four weeks in this series, we're gonna address some of those barriers. But for me, the obvious personal roadblock is figuring out what to do with the deep and very real feelings of not being or feeling included ourselves. It's difficult to feel like we can be that person that God is calling us to be when we feel isolated and excluded ourselves. But I think that you would be more than surprised at how many of us here feel like that. On the outside, trying to find a way in. To be honest, I think it's more the rule than the exception. But our response cannot depend on how others are including or excluding us or how we feel. A change need to take place, starting with a heart like mine, a heart like yours, a friendship circle, a life group, and I pray one day even a community like us at Southridge. It starts when people like us recognize that spiritually this could not be farther from the truth. We're in, we're accepted, we're included, and we belong because of what Jesus has done. Rather than living from the starting place of discouragement or insecurity because of our relational lives, what about living, from it, living in our relationships from the confidence and the safety and the assurance of God's relentless pursuit to never give up on me, never, ever give up on me, and how about if that became the foundation that he has laid in my life so that I can represent him and his nature and his heart and character to the world that is so desperate to belong, longing to be pursued. We've been given an incredible gift of inclusion from a God who is crazy about us. But there are people potentially sitting right next to us this morning. People we work with, people on our street, our next door neighbors, fellow students who are starving to find people who will open up their hearts and lives to include them. And this may be the pathway where their, that their spiritual journey begins through, where they can then discover the life that God dreams that they would enjoy. Second Corinthians reminded us that we no longer look at people from a worldly point of view and we aren't going to be crippled by our own feelings of relational exclusion, but as new people, loved and created by God, we now see others as he sees them through his eyes. And we put God on display when we don't stop at anything to show those around us a path of inclusion that they will get to discover Jesus through as we open up our hearts and lives to represent our God, to pursue them with everything we've got. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are both overwhelmed and so grateful that you have included us. Even in the moments, even in a moment like right now, where so many of our hearts are so far from you. 
but you knock on the door, you relentlessly pursue us, you, you do whatever you can to show us that you love us and that you want us to be a part of your family, enjoying all of your goodness. And Father, I ask that you would break our hearts with the truth that your love is not only to change us, but has now called us to be your hands and feet, to show the world what an inclusive God really looks like through the way that we live, through the way that we relate, through the way that we connect. Help us to be that on your behalf. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.